0: For July 22nd, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 264, R.I.P.D. Is there, is there, Balm in Gilead? Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I'm Matthew Rather, and I'm back. I missed you. I missed you guys. Mark, it's, it's been so long since we've been on the show together.
1: I, I know. We've been separated by oceans and continents and earth's gravity and all sorts of crazy things.
0: <laughs> and Pete, it's great to talk to you again because uh I was I was off fighting kaiju last week and and the week before we pre-taped. So gosh, it's been it's been a long time, huh?
2: Oh yeah, and I'm eating this delicious tandoori chicken right now. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now I think that our audience in our audience, they're guaranteed not to get that joke
2: because, but well, there were like a couple other thousand people who did what we did this weekend.
0: I happened to be actually in Hollywood, in the actual neighborhood of Hollywood, so I went to the like the big fancy theater, which was the first one around here to uh, to have reserved seats and like a restaurant and bar in the lobby and stuff like that. It's called the ArcLight Hollywood and. And, uh, so, you know, I went to see RIPD. At this theater, I paid nineteen dollars and fifty cents for my for my single ticket to for a three D showing of R I P D at half past noon today. And there were in this cavernous, like beautifully appointed theater with excellent projection and crystal clear sound. There was like me and another guy, and we (laughs) (laughs) because because we had chosen our seats, we were like diagonally across from each other in the th- <laughs> in the theater cuz we didn't want to sit you know, you know cuz In a in a in a mostly empty theater, you want to you don't want to be the the a hole who sits right in front of the other guy so he can't put his feet up,
2: you (laughs) know. No, that's why no one's you don't sit in the middle, right? Like if you're in a movie that no one else is going to go see, you sit a little bit off center so that the person who sits the row in front of you can sit a little bit off center in the other direction and you can stagger. Right. Uh, Somebody, when I saw RAPD, I feel like our question of the week should have been how many other people were in the theater when you saw RAPD this week because Pete made see he likes the macklemore song that was in the commercial um, somebody had the gall to sit two seats away from me like right next to me and i thought he was by himself too but then he was with his girlfriend but it's like geez like come on man have a little bit of courtesy yeah, exactly like
0: you know go up a couple rows right like
2: yeah it's like roll up your windows and and turn off the jaw rule when you're coming to the funeral you know like it's <laughs> there's certain things that i i know you like you would do in a more fun situation than this she's oh there's so going to now you're all-
1: telling me that's inappropriate what? that's what? now you're telling me that's inappropriate to uh, to, to not blast jaw rule out of this out of my car when i'm rolling up to a funeral okay <laughs>
2: That's true. Unless it's a funeral, one of Ja Rules like rap enemies, in which case it's like thoroughly acceptable.
0: So we're cause. we're going to uh, we're going to talk about R.I.P.D., which which is a film that we chose and all went to see, and, yes. and we are a non-negligible percentage of the the film's <laughs> box office gross this weekend because it's not high. Um, no. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, before that, question of the week panel. Uh, in light of news coming out of Comic Con that uh, that there is going to be a Superman and Batman movie, Zack Snyder is hard at work on this, um, and they're going to you know appear together on screen. What do you think they should do together on screen? <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but it's probably at the early stages of story and things like this. If they're not just adapting. Uh, The Frank Miller book, but like, uh, well, you know, I don't know. What would you like to see Superman and Batman do together? Uh, It gives me great pleasure uh, to inform you that first in the alphabet is Peter Fenzel.
2: Thank you very much, Matt. I do appreciate it. Uh, I also, I managed to get some ice cream when I saw RAPD, so I, I thought of it more as... Having as like the R.I.P.D. was a bonus to the ice cream. <laughs> ice cream was a bonus to the R.I.P.D. Um, but here's what I would think. I I, I want to see I want to see um, Super Step Up is what I want to see. Uh-huh. I want to see Batman and Superman in a dance movie. <laughs> I want to see them, them them use their powers for for things other than the obvious. I want to see how their relationship plays off when they have to uh, when they have to sort of adjudicate it in a different sort of medium. I mean, because here, think about it, Superman. Dancing is a tricky endeavor because he can certainly dance faster than many people and in a more dramatic fashion, and he has, like, a broader capability of possible physical moves. He can dance in a volcano and whatnot, but, like, people would have to be able to see it in order for the performance to really play off, right? Whereas Batman – Batman is also very stealthy. Right, and so he just comes out of the shadows. <laughs> so here's the deal: is that Batman and Superman enter a dance competition, but they realize that people can't see either of them while they're dancing because they're defaulting to their normal things. So Superman has to teach Batman how to come out of the shadows and dance in front of people openly in the daylight, and Batman has to teach Superman how to like sort of slow down and be more meditative and making his choices. So uh,
1: I would argue that uh, Batman would win that competition because oh yeah, yeah, because Batman is trained in the martial arts. Um, which i i feel like translates more into like uh, uh, the into dance moves and dance prowess Whereas superman like i don't i don't know what kind of training he's had i mean he just like punches people really hard
2: right? uh actu- well actually <laughs> wait what uh superman is trained in uh some kryptonian martial arts uh, wait, did, trying... did
1: he learn it from the the like, the Marlon Brando crystals or something like that
2: he learned it directly not from the Marlon Brando crystals but from Marlon Brando himself who no it's no it's a uh, there's <laughs> Um, let's see. He watched, uh, he watched Last horu-
0: Tango in Paris and, and learned all kinds of sexual kung fu from uh, Marlon Brando. In- uh,
2: it, it, <laughs> it's called uh, hor- Horu Kanu. So it's vaguely Asian for some reason also, which seems inappropriate. Um, but yeah, so – or Clue core. There's another one. The Google is spitting all sorts of dubious answers to this question. <laughs> at me. So they might be wrong. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that there's a Kryptonian martial art that Superman knows how to do and people use it. Well, I hear about it whenever people argue about whether Superman would win a fight with Goku. Right, Because it's like, oh, Goku knows martial arts. Superman. Like, well, actually, <laughs> Superman study. Wow. I, I got way more than I bargained for. Pete,
0: <laughs> I, I have had it up to here with your cryptorientalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh yeah. mark lee uh hey let's okay. uh let's hear what you, what you want what do you want superman I, and batman to do together
1: okay before i answer that i gotta answer the first question which was uh, how many people in the theater <laughs> oh when <laughs> he right. saw r.a.p.d I actually went on a saturday uh, night in, in new york city and it was reasonably full it was by no means sold out or by no means crowded to be fair this theater had reclining seats so it's very possible that people came just for the reclining seats and to recline in set seats, so I can't attribute all of this audience showing up to R.I.P.D.
2: Well, also the ambient temperature outside was like ninety-five degrees,
1: right? Uh, it started to cool off by uh, by Saturday evening, but yeah, it's been a terrible heat wave. Uh, in case they haven't heard news in the uh, in the eastern part of the United States, but it's over, it's done, yay! And we, now we've seen RIPD and We can talk about it, okay? <laughs> but so <laughs> we're talking about a movie that people actually care about. Actually wait, 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 see, wait. Right? I want
0: I, I want to, I want to. Get, dig into this reclining seat business a little bit actually <laughs> okay. i think that You're this welcome. is that this is on the whole a terrible idea uh, and let me tell you agree, why
1: but you, you tell me why first and I'll tell you my reasons
0: <laughs> okay I um you know I, I normally don't unless it's summer movie season and we basically spend every podcast talking about the the latest film the film that came out this weekend I try to avoid the theaters actually in the high traffic times like for, for opening weekend of movies because you know I don't know it's crowded and it's unpleasant a lot of the times and the you know movie theater the conditions of exhibition aren't great and people are badly behaved, and and uh, the opening weekend crowd tends to be like uh, like a bunch of teenagers, and so like just in the last few weeks, I, I'm not going to go into detail, but like teenagers go to the movies to to like make it out to to make it out to, to make, make it <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> They're making it out. They're making out to get busy with one another, and I I have been I I like haven't looked, but I, I've heard some noises from adjacent seats recently that that give. <laughs> (laughs) give me the sense that there was some untoward behavior uh going on and i think that reclining seats only encourages this trend by you know allowing um Allowing these kids today to just, uh, you know, removing even the last vestiges, the, the thin veneer of uh, propriety over the, the movie going experience. So, um, you know, that's that's I don't know why. Because of these kids today, I guess I'm I, this means I'm old. This means I've become an old man.
1: I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm clutching my pearls. There are poles <laughs> around my neck. I am clutching them very hard. Okay, that's know. a great—that's a great reason to oppose reclining seats. Uh, let me—let me tell you mine and the Pete. If you have additional things to weigh in on this, <laughs> a very important reclining seat matter, please do. Okay, it's a terrible waste of space, is what it is, because the seats recline so far back that, like, it, it's its difficult and uncomfortable to actually see the movie screen. I mean, you're almost like, uh, like uh, uh, so I'm told when you fly in business class, you can you know, recline the seat so far back, you can just like, actually go to sleep. It's like that, except in a movie theater. And there's still room you know, where, for your feet for people to sort of shimmy by. There's a lot of space there, so it's just a wasted space, right? So this, the theater can sell less tickets for the same amount of square footage, which yeah, that's just not an efficient usage of the very limited, scarce cinematical resources that we have at hand. It just doesn't make sense.
2: So I'm going to say you should go the other way, and you should recline the seats mandatorily at the beginning of the movie, and the screen should be positioned at like a 45-degree angle so that you're all looking up at it, and then everybody should be made to perform some sort of sexual stimulation on the people around – no, no, no. Never mind. No, no, no. Not that. Not That's gross. Don't do that at all. Although I will say that if the people next to me at RAPD had merely been sitting three or four seats away rather than two seats away from me, I would have been left. Bothered, even if they were just like full on making out like the whole time, uh, it was their relative proximity that made it difficult. So, we're, I mean, in my day, you used to go to the back of the movie theater if you wanted to make it out. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I, I need
1: to answer the question. I forgot about that. So can, can, should I go? PT, yeah, go for San it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Batman and Superman should make it out in the next movie. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm sure there are plenty of people who, who want to see that. There are plenty who have already written, you know, voluminous slash fic um on the internet but about this is this but, would
0: be just a real post prop eight
1: right like blow for for civil rights everywhere wouldn't it <laughs> Yeah, like the pearls would be clutched left, uh, <laughs> left and right as well um okay so here's what i actually want to see in this movie and i think that has a well remote chance of happening is that batman and superman team up to fight the uh the corrupt united states government and its overreaching surveillance state because okay okay and i know what you're thinking right Superman typically is, you know, like the loyal servant of the United States government. And I believe that's how he's portrayed in the uh, Batman Returns comic book.
2: The, like, Dark Dark, Returns, the Dark Knight yes. Returns, yes. Yeah. He goes to Central America, I believe, and like, in sort of gets involved in sort of a Granada ish, Panama ish conflict. They show him lifting a tank. Um, um, yeah. so,
1: so we have that, right? But as uh, you saw in The Man of Steel, in the last Superman movie that just came out, um, Superman keeps the United States government and its military at its distance, and he um, mangled, he totally destroyed a, one of its drones, right? So he doesn't like the drones, so there is a precedence for this. And ba- we know how Batman feels about authority and government, so I think the two of them will, uh, will, will team up together and take out the NSA. I would watch that. I would be, I would be really excited to see that. The NSA would watch it too, ironically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> probably, Probably long before any of us did.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I get to go to previews.
0: <laughs> I would like to see Batman and Superman come up with, uh, just have like a bro weekend together, you know, like da- at a lake or something or at a, uh, you know, at a vacation house in Vermont, right? Like, and, and, uh, and the thing that I'm thinking is that like barbecuing and making s'mores uh, would be, you know, I, w- I want to see like how they do that. I think that like Bruce Wayne could, could create some kind of rotating fork, you know, that, that is mechanical. In fact, I, I think even, even we, uh, lowly, lowly non Bruce Waynes, have the technology to, to make such a thing, to make a fork that spins around, but then Superman could, could toast the marshmallows with his eyes. And I'm <laughs> you know, and I, so I'm just thinking of a, of a, uh, you know, slightly homoerotic kind of montage set to set to music. Um, Where, wherein they like, you know, I don't know, they splash around in the thing and, you know, I don't know, Batman splashes Superman in the lake and then Superman splashes Batman and creates a tidal wave that goes and knocks out the next door (laughs) house. Right. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, I don't know, the the sun sets as they, you know, drink bottles of beer, uh, you know, on the back deck sitting in some Adirondack chairs or something like that. Um, Can Superman get drunk? I don't think he can, right? Does he not get super drunk?
1: He <laughs> gets super drunk on, on Kryptonian junk. All
2: right, let's see if Google has an answer to this.
1: <laughs> Can
0: Superman get? Drunk. This is
2: the difference between you and, you and me, Matt, is that you googled, can Superman get drunk? <laughs> I googled it does Superman get drunk. <laughs> um, uh, yes, off Kryptonian vodka is the best answer on Google Answers, <laughs> but it only has a 38% approval rating. Um, you, oh, he gets drunk in Superman 3 after he's exposed to kryptonite. Oh, uh, I or, see. Or the fake kryptonite, the Richard Pryor kryptonite. Um... I believe is is one of the answers uh
0: so uh while while you were reclining in your movie theater uh looking at the screen uh for you know kind of like a planetarium up right on a <laughs> on a 45 degree angle up in the
1: while, while, while making it out while making, while making it, it out <laughs> making it out um
0: uh the the film you were watching I I ventured to say was RIPD which is yes! a, 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 a a such an interesting film not a yes! yeah, not a good film by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> but not not I have to say a bad film either and and uh, as Pete emailed me uh right after seeing it not even a so bad it's good film or certainly not rather a so bad it's good No 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 definitely not uh, so bad it's good film so so this is a movie where ryan reynolds and you know blanket spoiler alerts for r.i.p.d so if but don't feel
2: like you have to have seen the movie to participate in this conversation (laughs) but anyway continue
0: uh you know if yeah so if you uh you know if you ship Reynolds Bridges and you are just really you know anxious to hear how their romantic pairing uh comes off you might uh you might want to uh wait till you've seen the movie before listening to this podcast no i'm that's not true that's not even a thing i don't even know why i'm saying that um but uh yeah so um i i i, I sort of don't even know where to begin uh this film imagines the afterlife as a kind of existential bureaucracy, right? Where there- a
1: portion of the afterlife, like just the part where the RepD cops go to, I think.
2: Yeah, the rest of the afterlife, it seems to uh, envision as a form of garbage disposal, <laughs> right? Like, um, but, circling, yeah, but yeah, yeah they're
0: circling th- the drain and you know, draining upwards.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And the RIPD is a bureaucracy that exists that has like an entrance in the tunnel that you go through, right, that has the light at the end of the tunnel. And and as you're on your way to judgment is what they call it, the RIPD may like pull you aside and give you a job interview and decide that you're going to be part of the overall system. Uh, right, it's like the, the system – it's talked about in the movie that the mechanisms that, that govern and, and sort of funnel off the various dead souls were not designed for the population of the current-day Earth. And the extended bureaucracies like the RAPD have been set up in order to sort of uh, serve as a stopgap measure or as a workaround for various problems with the system that they can't fix while it's currently working. Right. Right? It's that like So in other words, like when God was making his
1: population model in yeah. Excel – yeah. Uh, yeah, at the beginning of time, he uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't quite make the population curve. Uh, you didn't talk yeah. the population
2: curve correctly. Right, right, right. And so there are some people who die, but they don't go through the garbage disposal. They end up back on Earth because of some sort of problem with the flow
1: and completely unexplained mechanics. By the way,
2: yeah, but I didn't feel like that had to be explained in the movie. I mean, it I wasn't thought it, I thought
1: that was a really important thing that was missed. But sorry, continue.
2: Yeah, but uh, but the RAPD, their job is to go back to Earth, and similar to like a whole bunch of other stuff that we've seen most notably the show brimstone which was very short lived but which i really enjoyed um the the ripd are sent to earth to kill the dead people who are hiding out no, as the i don't think they're sent to kill them oh, no. necessarily That's right, but they never successfully apprehend any
1: they're supposed to apprehend yeah but, but yeah, yeah. they just wind up shooting them with the bullets that make their souls completely disappear from the cosmos right right? right right they don't go to heaven they don't go to hell they don't go back to purgatory or anything like that they just vanish and they're gone yeah and which yeah, might be better than going to hell right I mean perhaps. But okay. So maybe this is like I guess we should talk about the uh the extent to which you know the rules of this afterlife are portrayed and try to tease it out because well hey, it's not really uh, described well and it's described in a way that oddly omits any sense at all of uh traditional judeo-christian theology, right, which is our typical reference point for the afterlife in western culture. Right. It's right, conspicuously right. absent, right?
2: Uh, yeah, and I think that there might be some reasoning for that. I think because uh, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I think that there were some people involved in the making of this movie who were also involved with the the Clash of the Titans movies. Yes, so Matt Manfredi, who was credited with the screenplay for R.I.P.D., also is a screenplay for Clash of the Titans. Uh, so you're saying I,
0: he's a pagan.
2: No, I'm saying that he's a, a strident and and uh, and uh, proselytizing atheist. <laughs> um, that like the Clash of the Titans uh, franchise is like very politically atheistic because um, it's like, hey, look at all the all the mischief that's happening on Earth is the fault of the gods, and if people just didn't have gods around, then clearly everything would be better, right? It's like at least I I haven't seen Clash. But that's, of the Titans. I mean, I've seen that's different.
0: Oh, ra- but that's still that's that's different from from atheism, right? Which is the you know, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been on like R slash uh, atheism, but um, well, you're better
2: for it. <laughs> <in a way. laughs> it's not exactly a happy place, um, but, but it's yeah, you
0: yeah. know, it's it's that uh, it's that there is no there is no sort of divine layer. It's not that like there are gods, but uh, but they're messing everything up for the rest of us. It's that you know, it's the denial of the existence of of uh, a god or many I mean, gods. I
2: don't, I don't tend to I don't tend to see. Political political atheism is working that way i think that they tend to like to catalog the problems that religions cause and to argue for uh, not worshiping god or believing god exists uh, on the grounds that doing so causes more harm than good right like and it's like that's like what the god largely what the the richard dawkins book is all about right it's not about you know it's not necessarily about i mean so there's this logical positivism grounding but a lot of it is like well look at the crusades and look at the, the the spanish inquisition and look at all the terrible things that people did for religious reasons uh wouldn't it be wouldn't we all be better off if there hadn't been these religions in the first place which of course raises the question of like well are these correlative reasons is it causal right like or is it the fact that people just sort of like screwing each other over and causing a lot of problems and uh uh, but i mean that's a whole other conversation that the movie doesn't really get into um but yeah yeah yeah. but it's like i think that i I have a feeling that the screenwriters of this are probably less interested than say like the original comic book writer was in teasing out some of the details of this stuff just because of their their history and guessing at what they like but anyway mark i I interrupted you Uh,
1: so let's 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 keep going on this line of thought here uh now pete you, you live in boston
2: I right. do, in fact. And, and this was the movie production ever made in Boston, which I learned from the guy sitting two seats over from me.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and, and this yeah. movie, like, you know, really is in and of the town. there's Lots of Red Sox stuff going on here, right? Yep. The, both of the cops are uh, from the Boston Police Department. And, like, it's not too much of a stretch to think, like, well, shouldn't these guys probably be, like, Irish Catholic, typical Boston cops, right? (laughs) When they're showing up in the afterlife, it's like, why is, uh, um, you know, uh, why am I looking at you and not St. Peter? Like, where is uh, the Jesus and whatnot? Right, right, right.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And we can apprehend them deados in the (laughs) RIPD
2: Oh well, first of all Jeff Bridges isn't from Boston. The Jeff Bridges character is from the Wild West. Right. Yeah. Right. So he's he's not a Bostonian and the Ryan Reynolds character is from Boston but he's not Irish. But I thought uh, that
0: I thought that Mark was talking about Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Bacon.
2: Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Kevin Bacon has a little bit of the accent that's sort of forced on his character in this movie, kind of awkwardly. Uh, but yeah, they don't really make a commitment to these guys being Boston cops in the cinematic sense. Like, we're not watching The Departed or The Town or something like that, which might have made the movie more interesting, perhaps, but also perhaps it was a cheap thing to do that they didn't want to do. Um, but yeah, no, it's notable. It's notable that they, that like the, so the Ditto, Michael Malley, right? is the detto who is in Fenway Park and i thought his his character was really touching and this movie is full of situations like this where like a character situation is really touching and you get like one or two like really sincere moments with that character which is one of the things that makes this movie not a bad not a bad movie, like not an awful movie, right, it, that everybody has said. It. It's that there's a lot of really, I think, solid character moments and there's a lot of characters in this movie that inspire you to care about what happens to them, which is a lot more than a lot of these throwaway action movies generally do. And so here's Mike O'Malley's situation, right, is that he he dies. Mike O'Malley, by the way, was the referee from Guts um, and the guy who sent chi- children up the aggro crag. So, uh, <laughs> he, has, he has reckoning waiting for him on the other side, I'm sure. Uh, and he did a variety of other of other things on television and whatnot. But he he died he's a deado in the sense that he didn't go to judgment he ended up back on earth and he has decided he has sort of hidden out and he lives behind the scoreboard of Fenway Park right and he sort of haunts Fenway Park and he loves to watch the Red Sox and that's like the thing he loves to do more than anything else and it's sort of, sort of sad right that he's this you know he's this ghostish kind of dude and I thought what they were really going to do is – because the other – one of the other conceits is that the Dettos – they have a – the reason why the Dettos are bad is that they bring – death, decay, wrongness. They, they are they are representative of and, commu- and commutative of, uh, of, a, of of a death that should not be on Earth. It's like when things die, they should go away. Uh, but when things die and don't go away, they start to make the things around them die. And whether they're inanimate objects or whether they're people or whatever, they make things rot or they make buildings fall apart. And I really was hoping that Michael O'Malley was going to be a guy who died in like 1919. And the reason that the Red Toss didn't <laughs> run the World Series was because he was like he was cursing the place with his presence, but he couldn't tear himself away because he loved it so much, right? I feel like that would have had some pathos. The, the, the dettos in general, and I know this is sort of stepping away from your question a little bit, Mark, but like one of the, I think the there are a lot of big failures in this movie, a lot of like choices that were just made wrong, I think. And that's why it has this reputation for being so bad and why nobody wants to go see it. But the dettos are like really sympathetic in this movie, like just by their story, right? They're just people who died and the didn't want to die, and so they went back to Earth. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, this is the
1: direction I wanted to move in this The dedos yeah, yeah. are just uh, Complete failures in terms of antagonists in this movie
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly So so the dedos are around and of course the RAPD Is sent to like round them up And of course in a lot of police work And law enforcement there's a lot of moral conflict Where it's like well The people that we're going after are breaking the law But like they're really poor or mentally ill And I kind of feel bad about their situation But I still have to do my job right? Because the, the law requires it Right? And so this could be a take on, well, is it just that people die? Like we don't really feel like it's is it fair or unfair that people have to die? Like like and then it's like, Well, what do you do if this person looks at you and is like, I really don't wanna go? You know, like like please just let me watch one more season right like the next time they win the world series I'll go right but I don't want to go right now and 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 Jeff Bridges and uh, and and Ryan Reynolds's characters you know Roy Pulsifer and Nick Walker those characters never have to confront that question and I feel like they should have to given what their job is they have to have their Tommy Lee Jones moment in the fugitive right where it's like I don't care if you don't <laughs> tell your wife or they have to or like maybe one of them feels that way maybe Jeff Bridges is like I really don't care and Nick Walker is like we should care about these people Ryan Reynolds should be like, "I care. we should care about these people that have died, but we can't because the world will fall apart or whatever. And then there's the Kevin Bacon guy uh, who is just such a failure as a villain, um, But even though he tries to be really sneering. Like, so there's the moment – there's a moment in the movie where Kevin Bacon throughout the movie is wearing a St. Christopher medal, which prevents his sort of dedo influence from ruining things around him. It sort of yeah. – it keeps his negative uh, – now, of course – If these St. Christopher medals exist, and they're things that people have, and they allow dedos to not have any ill effect on the world around them, then, like, why don't they just give all the dedos (laughs) Christopher medals? Why don't they just turn the dedos into saints? They'll be like, look, okay, you're back on Earth. You can stay, but you have a duty now. You have a responsibility, like we do, to make the world a better place. And you have to always wear this bracelet that's going to always remind you of what you have to do. And if you ever take it off, then you're going to become a monster, and we're going to kill you. Right, and it's like, and then you're really gonna be dead, and then so there's a moment. But whatever, that's appeasement,
0: Pete. Yeah,
2: (laughs) that's mercy, Matt. That's mercy. and like there, you know, maybe maybe it's wrong for me to think that we should at least confront the possibility of there being mercy. You know, tell me, is there bomb in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I am poor. Quoth the raven nevermore. Right. Like um, maybe there's some sort of mercy in the world for people who die. Um, you know, like we're not in our atheism. here. Not we not don't have to be- and,
0: and the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door.
2: Indeed, indeed. And
0: my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.
2: Uh, John Cusack never went to Comic-Con to talk about the Raven. <laughs> but so so here's the thing is that Kevin Bacon takes off a St. Christopher Metal um, and, and instantly the building around him, which is a, a pretty classic Boston kind of like multifamily – you know, cruddyish sort of home, of which you see many in uh, Mystic River. If you ever want to, if you love that architecture, go watch Mystic <laughs> River because it's all the houses in that movie. Uh, the house just starts, just just falls apart, like before your eyes. The whole thing, the foundation is cracking, the building is collapsing, the appliances are tarnished, the food instantly rots. And I'm thinking, oh man, Kevin Bacon isn't just a Ditto. Kevin Bacon is like, is like me, is like um, mythos from Highlander. He's like the oldest Ditto. Like he's a Ditto who's been around for thousands. Thousands of years, and like he's like, and that's why he's the big bad is that like the other people they just sort of don't know what's happening, but but this guy he know no he's just he he explains in the car later like remember that time that you thought that I was dead I wasn't right, and it's like, <laughs> when oh, I right got,
0: yeah when I got shot on the job and got him got a medal I was actually dead there you know and yeah
2: it's like no you should be like I was a I was a centurion in the Roman army you know like and I stole things from the Parthians right and like I have I have the eagle of uh, of Pompey in my baby basement or the eagle of marcus crassus in my basement i apologize i yeah. got that reference it, wrong.
1: It, so we can take a moment can we take a moment and figure out what's going on in the process of becoming a deadto, like dying they say that so the kevin Bacon's character he's shot in, in duty he dies sort of right but his soul doesn't go to wherever it's supposed to go it gets stuck here but how did it get stuck here was that because he was being sneaky and like and therefore that you know causes the RAPD to, 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 to come after to just be policing dedos like what is going on there it was driving me crazy I could not understand this.
2: I don't think they go into it I think that the way that they describe it is that it's entirely the fault of the system which would be more similar to the to the anime and manga bleach if you're familiar with that at all. Me Or soul reapers, which are like similar to the R.I.P.D. officers in that they're like grim reapers who have to go around harvesting the souls of the dead that don't – and taking them to the other side if they don't go on their own. It's like a Jap. Um, and so in that story, it, you aren't bad when this happens to you, but – once it happens to you, you it makes you bad because you are no longer you are now part of something that is bad, and that bad thing right uh, gets to you. In in Bleach, there are these things called Hollows, where if a person dies and is too attached to something in the real world, they have a chain that goes from their chest and and ties them uh, to the earth, and um, that chain uh, we- like it, it slowly wears away and breaks right the thing that's bonding them to whatever it was that they really love when they were alive or they can't get away from and then if the chain sort of decays all the way into their chest and the sort of l- the mount for the chain also decays they develop a hole in their chest and then they become monsters and the idea is that like this this experience of being dead about hollows out your soul until all you do is like hunger for anything and then you'll go try to eat people and that's why the shinigami have to go kill you is because you've become a monster so you've lost your humanity um so in
1: ripd in the ripd universe like it is really just the fault of an inefficient bureaucracy that didn't plan ahead and so like you're you know you're, you, you die but you don't really die so you're still around and you're a dead owner you're still walking the earth um, and then when the RAPD come after you, you're just supposed to be like, oh, okay. You're supposed to I'll turn yourself you. in.
2: Yeah, you're supposed to turn yourself in. I think, I think it's not even the fault of the bureaucracy. It's the fault of the machinery. There's a whole uptake system, right? There's like a cyclone. There's like a tornado thing that opens above your head and pulls you up and lifts you up off the earth. Everything around you freezes, right? Time around you stops. And then the, the aperture opens in the clouds, and it draws you up into the aperture. And then the aperture brings you into a tunnel, which is surrounded by various other – portals, which are going to other places in Earth, or presumably to celestial bureaucracies, and then there's a giant you know, kind of chopper thing in front of you. There's the light, and that's judgment, and it's bringing everybody into judgment. So somewhere there's a point of failure in that system. It might be that the intake doesn't pick you up. It might very well be that time doesn't stop when you die, and you end up, like, walking around, right? So you're never in that space that the thing opens up. I don't know. It's probably explained more in the comic book, I would hope, but but yeah, no, they never really explain why it happens. And they don't explain why the Dettos seem to all kind of be jerks. Um, you know what I mean? Like, the ones they, like, the, the Detto gang that Kevin Bacon has, like, seems to be a non-trivial portion of the Dettos who are around at any given time, and they're all just like, yeah, we hate this stuff. I mean, I guess the Dettos seem to have a culture um, that they talk about in the movie where there's rumors and there's meetings, right? Like, people... The Dettos know things about other Dettos that they learn, which means that they have to be on Earth for a while. There has to be, like, groups of Dettos who are on Earth for extended periods of time. They have to figure out how to meet each other, and then they have to talk to each other about stuff, right, uh, which they never show in the movie. Like, they never show how this all works. And this is how the dedos figure out about – which is supposedly going to be able to reverse the celestial machinery and bring all of the dead souls back to the world, which, of course, could be kind of awesome. It's like, oh, nobody has to die anymore. Great. But, of yeah. course, to the RIPD, it's like, oh, no, the Earth is going to be consumed by decay, and it's just going to be this big, awful, joycean hell of, like, masses of bodies just piled up on, on a planet that can't sustain them. Right? So is it exactly- explained
1: why the deados want to bring all the dead people back to Earth? So they won't be lonely, won't be outcast anymore?
2: Well, they don't, then they don't have to go. I think, that's, I think that's the thing. I think Kevin Bacon mentions that before the big confrontation, is that like they don't have to go to judgment if they reverse the flow of the machinery. That and they're sort of a little bit angry at God for this situation, or the celestial bureaucracy or whatever, however it's represented, whether it's sort of like a mandate of heaven kind of Chinese thing or whatever. Hmm. But they're, they're angry at creation for having put them in the situation. They want to get for always chasing them around and they don't want to die and they want to stay on earth and they want other people to come back they don't seem to be altruistic about wanting other people to come back to life they seem to be kind of vandalistic about it but god that seems to be is an
0: absentee landlord (laughs) there are more. there are more people in the boston police department today and there are souls in the entire cosmos. We're
2: coming out. Well, you know, every time there's a construction site in Boston or like, a, like work going on, you have to have a cop. So it's pretty close. <laughs>
1: um, so I'm glad we're having this opportunity to talk through the metaphysics and, the, and the, the world building or the lack thereof in this movie. Because I think there's a lot of interesting territory that could be covered in this type of universe. Um, and, and it's like there are interesting stories to be told and, and a pathos to be had with these lost soul types, right? And, and because we don't see that in this movie, it just, like, it disappoints me. It makes me sad. Like, it makes me even sadder than I was coming out of it, just being like, okay, well, that was just sort of like a not particularly well-executed uh, generic summer action movie.
2: Right, right, right. Well, but here's the of thing. A, you Uncle. have a sense of
0: missed opportunity, right? You have a sense yeah. of, right, right, like, right. you
2: know— because let me say, the first ten or fifteen minutes of this movie are great. I love the first the first few scenes of this movie. Like I love, I absolutely love the scene of of Ryan Reynolds' character and his wife, girlfriend, girlfriend, um, like in in their bedroom, right? Like, and him having bought her an orange tree that he's planted in the backyard and i mean i've seen a lot of scenes like that most of them seem to involve ben affleck or or maybe even (laughs) steven seagal flashing back to the his old life before he had to go out for vengeance Um, but this is like there's a lot of these sorts of scenes in movies especially like like mid to low level uh, action thrillers, where it's like, this is how great family life is, and that's why you have to go kill the mafia, right? It's because, like, this was really awesome. Um, but I feel like this relationship that they set up, even that one scene was, like, really touching, and I, I really connected with it. I thought it was phenomenally well done for a scene like that, and it made me, like, instantly invested in uh, Ryan reynolds's character and in the girlfriend character, right? I thought that, um, that, that it, I thought it was really solid, and I thought that it informed their, what they want and how they feel and what they think about things, and that's why a lot of the scenes that made no sense and were really dumb later on, like, I still wanted to see what happens because I cared about what happened to these people. And then there's the scene where Ryan Reynolds goes into the warehouse, uh, and the idea is that there there's a big raid that's happening, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is like leading a SWAT team uh, to go take out a bad guy that's in this warehouse. And I thought that scene was really exciting because you th- you knew that Ryan Reynolds had to die for the events of the movie to start, right? Uh, but you just watched how much he loves his girlfriend and what a great time they were having and, and how touching it all was and then planting the orange tree, which is kind of metaphorical for children that they might have in the future. And then like – so there's a mo- moments where Ryan Reynolds is running along the catwalks, which in another movie would be really banal and uninteresting. And it's like, OK, here's the movie starting. Let's get started no, Ryan Reynolds is going to die in this scene. Like, he could die, right? And and so that invested me in it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this scene has stakes, right? And then Ryan Reynolds, you know, of course, he's betrayed by Kevin Bacon, which you can see coming a mile away, even though it's only like 10 minutes in the movie. You know that's going to happen. And, and it's yeah, you like,
0: can, You Whoa. can see it coming about 20 or 30 minutes before you even get to the theater.
2: Much. <laughs> as soon as they're like, Kevin Bacon's in this movie, it's like, oh, I bet you he betrays Ryan Reynolds and kills him and turns out to be the bad guy in the movie. Um, and uh, and And it's like... Oh this is really sad. And then when Ryan Reynolds is like in the process of going it's like scary, right? And it's like it's like oh man, like this is like legit. This is a guy dying and confronting eternity and like this is I thought I was like oh man, this is this is really intense. And then the rest of the movie is like casual Friday, right? Where it's like, all right, guys, you wore a suit for everyone. Put on your chinos, and we're gonna play some music and have some beers, and like not pay attention to what we just did in the first. Like, yeah, by play music, you
1: mean Jeff Bridges is gonna play on the accordion and sing ridiculous cowboy songs? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Which uh, I thought was wonderful. Yeah. Up a rule that none of the scenes could be good, but it's like. um <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like from there they're like hey how we just did the the openings the we just did like the opening scenes of the seventh seal let's do men in black now <laughs> right like um not the seventh seal the seventh sign which is the one with Demi Moore and which is the one with uh Max von Sydow. I get them mixed up. <laughs> Seventh Seal is Max von Sydow. Seventh Sign is Demi Moore. Let's okay. not get those confused. Good. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Do you guys feel that way too? That it's like there was a movie that this could have been. It would have required confronting what death is and having some serious conversations about it, which would have been very out of place in an action movie. But it's not like what they did was much better, right? It's like they sacrificed a small chance at making a at making a stinker. Um, but yeah, but it would have raised all these questions. I don't know. Did you guys like did you guys connect with the characters in this movie as much as I did?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds not not a guy I usually think of as having a a super distinctive personality in a lot of the uh in a lot of the roles that he takes. I thought was uh you know, was pretty good in this. Was, you know, uh and yeah, how can you not love Jeff Bridges? I would watch uh Jeff Bridges read the phone book, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, he, that's probably what he's going to do in R.I.P.D. 2, right? It'll just, it'll just be like him and Batman, and they've just died. He's like, Aardvark is an animal with a long... No-. Mark, you do a better Jeff Bridges as Roy Pulsifer impression than I do. <clears throat> uh,
1: you want me uh, you want, want me to be uh, the Pulsifer reading from a dictionary or from the phone book? The phone book. From the phone book. It's going to be like Adam's. Damn <laughs> Adams, <laughs> Benjamin, <laughs> Adams, <laughs> Charlie. Should I go? No, I think I think you get the idea. I
2: think you um, got. I think yeah,
1: got. I, I connected to the uh, to the eighty year old Chinese guy that was his alter ego.
2: <laughs> that really good. <laughs> <laughs> an ethnic joke, Mark? <laughs> Are you going ethnic?
1: I am going ethnic. I wanted us to talk about that. Actually, okay, yeah, sure. No, by all means, let's um, talk about so it. So, a lot of the reviews that I've read uh, rightly criticized the movie for not. Really uh, doing a whole lot with this concept of the fact that um, you know to the to the normal people in the world, the Jeff Bridges character looks like a hot blonde, and the Ryan Reynolds character looks like an eighty-year-old Chinese guy. Yes. Which as, I, as an eighty-year-old Asian man, which as I mentioned earlier on Facebook, uh, God willing, I will be someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, like there were just a couple of moments when it was played up for laughs.
2: Um, you're going to be an eighty-year-old um, Korean man, Mark. You're totally gonna be an different. Alabama American. Oh, but anyway yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, let me tell you this funny thing about identity politics. When you look like all these other people, you just kind of get lumped in with all the other people. That's you know that's why the Chinese are my homies. Um, so the, the the movie doesn't really explore any of these things in a really interesting way. There's just this one moment where uh, you see Jeff Bridges as the cowboy uh, chastise someone for is uh, kind of coming on to the, uh, the the female hot model. Uh, Avatar character, right? And there's some comedy to had for that. And for the most part, the the Asian guy thing is just him uh, uh, wandering around uh, and people looking really confused at him while he's holding a banana, which is the sort of the stand-in for the gun. Right, right, right? right exactly. Um, absent, almost completely absent, and all that is any really interesting. Uh, exploration of ideas around what it means to be these uh, these different marginalized, typically in some ways marginalized people than what you actually are, right? Like there's um, there was a lot more to be had with Jeff Bridges having to confront the sort of the, the sexism and the male gaze, and there was a lot more to be had for Ryan Reynolds to uh, to confront uh, the, the strain of discrimination that eighty uh, year old Asian men often face in the. I,
0: I wanted to do. I, I wanted to. Um Pick that up, though, with with Jeff Bridges and the the uh, talking to he gives the guy, you know, I'm not a piece of meat. I'm a I'm a human being. Right. Like, yeah, th- this is a film that gets a lot of PG-13 mileage right out of uh Oh, out of like having the incredibly girlfriend. tight dress. Yeah. yeah. And I also out of even just like having the, the girlfriend in her, her underwear in that first scene, which you know, right, right, right. Well, it was well acted for sure. But the camera did linger on her glutes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, perhaps a little longer than, than was strictly speaking necessary to, to make the point about the relationship that was being made at the, <laughs> at the time. Um, so that, that was a, uh, big have your cake and eat it too uh right like that that speech have, was have your beef cake and eat it too <laughs> have your cheesecake really and eat it too yeah like that speech was a fig leaf uh over the um you know i don't know over over what the the movie was was doing i you like, know i'll say this for the the 80 year old asian man who uh I, I thought he was really funny, I, right? I thought that oh, actor, yeah. like, landed a bunch of really good jokes just with a look or with, you know, uh, uh, just kind of an attitude. At that, that I felt like he actually really added something to the – that, you know, that particular actor really added something to the,
1: to the humor <laughs> yeah, anyway. You barely saw him. You barely saw the two of them in their avatar forms. Yeah,
2: that's but they cool. were good. Like, I feel like they could have used more of them. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly
1: what I'm saying. I'm totally with yeah. you.
2: I would have loved to have seen uh, Ryan Reynolds' character befriend an actual 80-year-old Chinese man who, like, thinks that he's his friend and just starts talking to him about stuff. And I would love it if that that friend died in the movie i would love it if like if like they're staking out like say that they're staking out some building that's next to like a chinese restaurant or whatever because you got to keep it stereotypical for some reason and that like the the old cook at the chinese restaurant comes out and sees ryan reynolds and assumes that he wants to talk just because it's like oh there's another chinese guy that's here he must be from the neighborhood or whatever um and they talk in Chinese, I'd love it if Ryan Reynolds found that he understood Chinese and didn't know why, and that they had a long conversation in Chinese, it's like, oh, you know, I got cancer, and the doctor says, it's not looking okay, but I'm doing what I can, and I'd love it if, like, there gets to be the moment where that character dies, and then Ryan Reynolds meets him, and that character looks young again, right, and then, Ryan, and then sees Ryan Reynolds and, like, recognizes who he is, right, because we sort of established a little bit in the movie that, yeah, people can sort of figure out who you are, even though the universe doesn't want them to know right and i love them to sort of like shake hands before he like goes up into the afterlife like i feel like that would have been a really touching part of the movie to do although i guess more 80 year old chinese men is clearly not the direction demographically they wanted to go with this movie (laughs) Uh, yeah
1: yeah i i've had this thought long i've long held this thought now i have the words to describe it the greatest movie ticket in the world pete is the one that lets you see the movies that are playing in your head (laughs) want that movie ticket i want to see those movies
2: oh man and then playing in my head or in like the heads that we all have that are in your head pete oh in my head oh, yeah, you, what, you, what
1: you just described there that's just,
2: oh, <laughs> that, that really you know stirs the 80 the
1: year old asian man inside of me It <laughs>
2: really does well then well then here's the other thing so there's a scene in this movie this is the, i think the most important scene in r.a.p.d right other than the scene in the beginning uh that we just
1: the scenes are important in this movie right
2: so there's a scene where they're driving down. I think that they're driving down. Um, they're near government center. A lot of the movie is shot around my office. Uh, my office appears in this movie, too. My office also appeared in the Bruce Willis movie surrogates. There was a robot oh. sex shop outside of it. Is, and this, is your it,
1: office one of the one of the buildings that inexplicably also have like a, a crazy tornado inside of it are <laughs> no. Not connected to the, 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 the spear thing at all?
2: No, 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 but that's what I'm talking about. So you know that they're driving along that arced road that goes from Park Street to government center, and there's a bunch of buildings that are being tornado fied. Yeah. Right? And then the rocks are falling. And Jeff Bridges is like, oh man, this is crazy. Right? Like, or I don't even know what he says. But I remember looking at this and being like, like, they are just animating as much garbage. Like this is like <laughs> the most this is the most transparent abuse of a budget that I've ever seen. They're basically being like, hey, Twister was great huh? Like, remember when they made all that garbage move around in circles? And I don't know if you guys remember the thread that we had. That, oh, Of course you remember. We had an article where we tried to predict the things that would be in the Ender's Game teaser trailer, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And I predicted that even though it never appears in the book, that there would be a spaceship crumbling to pieces in space, right? Um, and there is. Like, there is one in there. It's because these, they, they love to show it's like cloth in, uh, in 18th century painting. It's like you, you paint <laughs> (laughs) cloth and all of the textures and light that's on cloth, right? And then it shows you what a good painter you are. And so it's like, how much crap can i can i animate all at once that's all being subject to physics and bouncing around but i remember looking at this and being like this effect costs like four million dollars and contributes nothing nothing in this scene matters like they are literally driving down a street and are having things fall down next to them that don't matter and it's just a hundred pieces of garbage that we've never seen before being tossed around by a bunch of I'm, I'm really resisting uh using a chili pepper word right here because there's a really strong chili pepper word that i that involves a bovine uh defecating that i really want to use for a lot of this stuff but i'm resisting using it but i remember looking at that and i'm being like why do people think that this is the thing that should be in this movie right now you right. could put anything in this movie right now and it's like why do you want to have a building that's ca- falling to pieces and spending 30 seconds and 10 million dollars animating the pieces of the building as they fall yeah. to the ground so the,
1: right? the story like, function that ostensibly serves is that tr- they're trying to get from Point A to Point B very quickly. Right. We're trying to get to the place where uh, Kevin Bacon has set up the um, the the phallic object that's going to bring the <laughs> Daddos back, uh, and and they need obstacles to place in their way. Right now, the falling crap. Well, one of the problems with the falling crap thing is that like, you should be feeling danger for the characters, but it doesn't matter if crap fell on them because, like, in their. Um, you know uh sort of pseudo immortal state like they're not going to actually damaged right by the falling crap it's yet, just they're and like, yet, not like we need something to, to slow these guys down and getting from point a to point b and well,
0: Yeah, yeah falling crap on the bad guys seems to be pretty effective in in stopping them <laughs> right yeah. I, this was this was this was my thing as i was going it's like you're not you're not shooting them in the head with the the light gun right you're, yeah. you're <laughs> you know
2: <laughs> well, here's the other thing: is that like, so their job is that the world is for the living, and the dead, when they when they linger on the earth, uh, bring death to the living in a time before when it should happen. Right? They make things rot. They make things break. They make bad things happen. How many people are killed by the R.I.P.D. like over the course of this movie during their chase scenes? So many car crashes. Yeah. Right. Like, like I would love to, I mean, the obstacles that they should be running into are like something is about to fall on a little girl, and maybe there's a special effect that it's like this little girl isn't supposed to die for 80 years, and all of a sudden her meter dropped down to like five seconds. So we're gonna like pull the little girl out of the way, right? And then and 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 that's what's slowing us down as we're going because we are our job is to maintain. It's like the cop has to, doesn't, can't just drive through the middle of the streets on the wrong side of the road while chasing the bad guy. They have to obey the law, right? And like, if this is about law, if this is all this is about, like the laws that balance life and death and the way that we use our own understanding of social rules as a metaphor for understanding the natural rules of the universe and, and comprehending them and making them comfortable for us because they're very uncomfortable sometimes then like these should be lawmen who care about following rules and care about preserving and, like protecting and serving the innocent and and in these action sequences it's like this building's going to fall and I I'm, I'm sure there are like 100 people in that building and they're all going to die and you don't care right like it, it, I just I felt like maybe it's not their jurisdiction but maybe there should be other cops there should be like you know ghost emts or guardian angels who are coming down and trying to stop the ancillary that would be great if there were like uh, from the bureau of guardian angels from the bga there's a guy who's like try not to make so much of a mess this time Pulsiver. i hate cleaning up your your you know your slop remember that time you knocked over that whole barn like i was digging people out of there for weeks it's all over the news <laughs> they kept finding survivors um you know and that you know, sort of thing like
1: people have uh, picked up on this train of thought um, about sort of the collateral damage thing right uh with the superman n- superman is steel the most recent superman right. movie that came out that this sort of rampant destruction we haven't even talked about this in the podcast the rampant destruction that you see in metropolis is and, and Superman's sort of callous disregard for it compared to uh what you see in the earlier superman movies right where like superman will go out of his way to uh you know prevent this chunk of a building that's fallen off uh, to keep it from sp- spattering a bunch of civilians Mm-hmm. Right. And like, sure, in Man of Steel, you see that a little bit in the final sequence in the, in the train station where uh, Zod is trying to kill the innocent people. Um, but that comes after like this intense, intense, tremendous devastation that is that is done. You could arguably at the hands of Superman uh, upon Metropolis and presumably the citizens of it. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I, and, and some people, you know, you could say that this is sort of a, 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 a an unfortunate byproduct, right, of our special effects age, and it's sort of just it, it, the, the destruction is value and human life is cheapened because uh, destruction is so much cooler to watch.
0: Well, it's yeah, we can show more of it. There's also, I mean, there's a proud tradition of of you know, in action movies of not really caring about the human cost of the the uh, the the real carnage from the mayhem that that goes on. I thought Superman was actually better than most. Uh, because of that scene with Lawrence Fishburne where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to stay yeah. with you. And if we die, we die, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to abandon you like that, that at least gestured yes. at the, the real human cost. It wasn't like, uh, I don't know, the Avengers or something, which had, you know, a lot of people fleeing, but didn't, but really soft pedal the fact that there must've been tremendous loss of life, yeah. uh, you know, I, right. This is, I mean, I, for me, this is of a piece with the phenomenon of the, of the gritty reboot. And it's another, it's another have your cake and eat it too uh phenomenon where you want to, you want to like have the, the kind of compelling, powerful emotions of, you know, a lot of people dying without really engaging the sort of the grief or the, the much messier and less, you know, uh, less awesome <laughs> right aspects of uh aspects of it and yeah that definitely got me um that definitely got me in uh in RAPD. also i mean i think that, that that it's it's there's two two things that are being sort of conflated right the difference between them is sort of being el- elided right like it it's intrinsically bad for the dettos Oh, and and let me say did you notice them referring to themselves as dedos uh as well they're they're taking well, they're, they're allowed
2: to use that term for themselves <laughs> yeah, i was about to say they're
0: <laughs> they're taking it back uh i i got the sense from mary louise parker that um I I got the sense that this was like a pejorative term that was only used within the RIPD like she said we call them dettos rather than like you know the the generally accepted name for them is is uh, dettos but um they're they're intrinsically bad because life is for the living and the world is for the living and they're also instrumentally bad because they cause suffering and and it seems it seems like the RAPD is actually correcting the the intrinsic wrong, but in the guise of correcting the instrumental wrong, right? Because they cause a whole lot more suffering, uh, at, you know, in the ways that we've noted. Um, in the name of in the name of not uh, in the name of you know I don't know uh, of a kind of racial purity, right? Um, right uh, or a kind of like you know purity of the purity of the living this this movie is so uh, vitalist you know mm-hmm.
2: that was really that's really a great way of putting it the intrinsic wrong and the guys are correcting the instrumental wrong because yeah they they don't seem to deal with the consequences of what they do or the consequences of what the dedos do or the consequences of any of the things that this bureaucracy is responsible for like, that's the sort of big responsibility that they shirk in this movie. And I think it's a storytelling responsibility. Um, totally, well, totally.
0: right, yeah. And right, exactly. If you're going to make a movie about death that's like a lighthearted romp about death, you know. Uh, I mean, it's
2: not impossible to do. You know, like Albert Brooks did it. I sure. mean, he, <laughs> I mean like, you can do those sorts of things. Ghostbusters is kind of like that, right? Like, um, although Ghostbusters isn't really about death because it's really hard to believe that what did Slimer look like when he was alive, right? Like, well, are, are the ghosts and ghosts what? John Belushi,
1: <laughs> if you believe uh, sort of the, the lore behind the making of the movie. Oh, uh,
2: okay, okay. Yeah, and they don't start Ghostbusters with John Belushi like when Six Feet Under with like John Belushi doing a bunch of heroin and cocaine <laughs> becoming Slimer. They don't show that. They don't go to that direction. But anyway, Matt, I interrupted you. I'm sorry.
0: No, that, that, I mean that was that was my point largely yeah. that like uh, I don't know. I, I yeah, it's funny. I think there is like an interesting. I think that the like the afterlife. bureaucracy as a metaphor for the afterlife is very interesting because, you know, what are what are bureaucracies for? Right. Like bureaucracies are for uh, managing, you know, managing resources on an unimaginable scale. Right. Like and and uh, you you don 't need a bureaucracy if if something is on a human scale and one person can you know wrap her mind around it uh, you, you know you need a you need a bureaucracy when it 's so complicated and there's so many moving pieces that um that no one person can wrap uh, his or her mind around it and uh so th- that 's the sort of the, uh, you know that's that 's kind of interesting that 's an interesting kind of god is dead uh sort of thing right like when you know when god sat down at the the excel spreadsheet i mean in the beginning there was the microsoft word and the microsoft word was with god <laughs> <and> the microsoft <laughs> word was god right when like when god said, sat down at <laughs> when like, god sat down and said let there be light and, control and the n. little and the little yeah when god hit control n and the little paper clip popped up and says <laughs> You, it looks like you're trying to create humanity. Can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and now God is so totally overwhelmed that there are these departments and things, uh, you know, that it actually requires like just a great deal of paperwork. And like every, every soul that's born requires like forms for like requisition and purchase orders and, and uh, stuff like that. Like that's, uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Cause that's a sort of view of the world. That's a kind of jaundiced view of, of the world that that uh i don't know i think is really is really suggestive um i i don't know if you're gonna make a a movie about death and not 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 just not engage just not engage the issue just soft pedal every single part of it that that is actually uh the thing it's i mean to borrow a phrase that you that you use a lot pete it becomes an exercise in question begging
2: yeah yeah definitely Um, it it reminds me it wants me to It makes me want to compare it to Men in Black because so, this movie is, yeah. obviously, it borrows a lot from Men in Black. Everyone on the internet
1: has complaining that this is uh, a rip-off of Men in
2: Black. Yeah, I mean, the production design of the afterlife areas is very based on Men in Black. The movie itself, I think what we touched on is that what, the movie itself seems to be pulling toward a direction that is very different from what Men in Black does, but the, the movie uses a lot of Men in Black solutions to solve its storytelling problems, and I think that we've sort of outlined pretty successfully over the course of the last 45 minutes to an hour like what some of these problems are And, like, why the Men in Black solution doesn't work for them. But, like, but here's sort of what Men in Black is doing. I want to use the word like wonder wall for it, right? We there's a thread in our forums where it's like, well, what is a wonder wall, right? And like a wonder wall is a barrier between our reality and a transcendent reality, or or some other sort of greater understanding, or some thing that we yearn for that we can only see through like a chink in the wall, right? And it's from this British movie in the 1960s about a guy watching a couple through a wall, and and there's this idea that like there are these barriers in, in existence that we see like sort of a slit through and understand or yearn for something greater than what we what we get. And in Men in Black, this thing is like vastness, right? It's like the world outside. It's it's a coming-of-age tale, um, as well as about sort of intellectual freedom and kind of about the legacy of the 60s, right? Because the Men in Black are the guys in the suits that are trying to get you to not see all the crazy stuff that's happening in the universe. And uh, and it's this idea that you sort of need to be protected from it, but it's also kind of really cool and exciting and interesting and you kind of want to be one of the people who get to see it, um, right? And so like like, there's this idea that it's comical because when you do finally see the stuff, yeah, it's destructive, but it's also kind of like reassuring, right? It's like, okay, the aliens out there are zany, but they're also Johnny Knoxville, right? Like they cause problems and <laughs> they eat planets, but they also happen to be like bit part players in various television shows. And yeah, it's true, a uh,
0: right? It. For every Vincent D'Onofrio, there's probably a dozen Johnny Knoxvilles, right?
2: Right. It's basically saying like. You sure you want me to pull back this curtain? Because all sorts of crazy stuff is going to happen. You
0: want (laughs) me on that wonder wall. You (laughs) need me on
2: that wonder wall. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And this movie does the same thing, where it's like, okay, you die, and you think that it's just going to be this this awful reckoning thing, but really, when I pull back the curtain, there's all sorts of there's a whole Boston police, and like I think you pick the Boston Police Department because as as much as it is, you know, there's corruption and there's a history of all this stuff. Like the idea of a Boston cop is kind of like venal and harmless. Like the Boston, like the Irish Boston Police Department kind of guy is somebody you could put in a movie. As an archetype and be reassured by his presence. He's a known quantity, right? He's a he, first of all. I mean, although Mary Louise Parker does a great job in her little meter maid outfit, too, playing the like the boss of all of them. Um, but it's like, no, there's really, it looks really scary, but really, when you pull back the curtain, there's like a really reassuring infrastructure that makes sure that it all works. Um, but the movie doesn't do that, right? Like the movie to be like Men in Black kind of has to do that. It kind of has to pull back the curtain and say like, "Hey, you know, like there's a whole world of the, of the undead and of the afterlife and of kind of angelic beings who pass between the two worlds and and have these like tasks that are sent to them through golden pneumatic tubes from the supreme authority." Like we've talked a little bit about the absence of God in this movie, but there is a supreme authority that sends people messages through pneumatic tubes, which appears to be some sort of committee or something like that, right? right. Um um, but yeah, but it's like or maybe just the paperclip
0: cha- has taken over.
2: The paperclip, yeah, exactly. It's uh there's there's definitely like you're getting into the seraphim, but you don't get to the big chair, right? Like you don't get to <laughs> you get to the sort of domains and kingdoms um but you but you don't get to the the singular voice. You don't get to the metatron. Um but uh but it's but the movie isn't about the idea of death being harmless. And it's not about the idea of the afterlife being fun, right? Like, it, that's not what the characters are doing. That's not what the setup is about, right? Like, the movie is about love and loss and, try, and, and the matter of, like, is love stronger than death, right? The movie is about Ryan Reynolds' and his girlfriend right i mean that's that's pretty much what the movie's about more than anything else right and it's about ryan reynolds relationship with uh with jeff bridges it's about jeff Bridges' relationship with mary louise parker it's about all of these relationships of love that endure past death despite the fact that the also universe... jeff
1: bridges relationship with his hat it's not well
2: that. totally exactly there's a lot of love among these characters they're not robotic they're not like even like they're not even like tommy lee jones for men in black where they're like su- culturally emotionally suppressed they're like very demonstrative of their feelings towards one another and and there's this idea that the way that the world is built is is kind of gets in the way of them doing that for each other, I
0: mean, and there's also a sense. I mean, the sense of like your partner stabbing you in the back, right? And like Jeff Bridges, yeah. Ryan Reynolds as being a, 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 a what a retread, a reenactment. Um, in a positive register of the bad partner relationships that both Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds had in life, you know, so not only is love, uh, you know, stronger than death, not only does love withstand death, but like betrayal and like the wounds of, of sort of having love or having trust and, and having it betrayed that, that, that withstands death also.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's why the, the men in black production design really doesn't work. Um, especially the sort of slobbering, silly dettos right? Which are, which are sort of, which are just they're from a different story. They're just they're really from a different story. It, it's uh, it does. It, what would the villains in this movie be like um, if they were about partners stabbing you in the back? Like the threat, they would probably be morose or like socially disconnected. Yeah, they would
0: be sort of unloved. They would be loners yeah. and and yeah. you know stuff stuff like that.
2: Like the hollows from Bleach, right? Sure. They would be more like that. Um, I mean, they're, the Mike O'Malley character is sort of like that, nostalgic, but also solitarian and sad. Or they would be,
0: I mean, or they would be, yeah, exactly like that. Or I, I even like, you know, drug addicts or something like that, uh, it's for for whom a disease, you know, like a, a chemical dependency, like took the place of, uh, uh, took the place of like relationships and the kind of the nourishing and, and kind of life sustaining aspects of, of relationships. They'd be people for whom something something got in their way of their ability to kind of be social and be you know be with other people right
2: yeah that's really interesting like if the movie were like a drug sting movie where the dedos are people who have a, discovered a drug that lets you live beyond death although that's more of like an uh that's not a pg-13 movie for the kiddies. that's something that's a little bit more mature right and it's like the ripd is in this endless war on this drug which like yeah, that's a like,
0: that's a that's a a what an iron man 3 solution to a uh to a men in black problem
2: <laughs> yeah we don't want it to be the wire of of death right where it's just like where the ripd is just totally useless and they like, can't accomplish anything it's like i want souls on the table people souls on the table right like you know <laughs> you juke the stats <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the lord hath said juke the stats <laughs> right? Uh, It's like, we need to show progress to the guys upstairs or else our department will be erased from existence by the celestial bureaucracy. And it's like, this guy has tried to legalize haunting, because prosecuting haunting has become problematic. It's, like, full of systemic problems. Um, Yeah, no, that movie is not... There's a lot of different directions you could have taken. (laughs) I mean, one of the obvious ones is that you could have, I mean, I guess you probably couldn't have with the timing and what you'd already shot, but it is weird to do a movie about Boston and the Boston Police Department, at least from the perspective of somebody who lives in Boston, uh, that comes out now and very obviously has nothing to do with and no knowledge of the marathon bombings. Right, because like we all got a really nice demonstration of how the Boston Police Department acts when all the chips are down and like things are things are sort of out of hand and 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 all that stuff. And like, there's a lot that's going on there, so it's kind of weird that this movie doesn't really. Maybe that's why it was delayed. Maybe that's why they pushed it back. Maybe not because it was bad, but because it was about Boston and they just didn't want to deal with that. Um, like like the like the Public Enemies one with the shooting in the movie theater. Yeah, sure. They're really getting pretty good at predicting these things. It's unfortunate.
0: That is (laughs) is a dark thought, my friend.
2: (laughs) Well, this movie is about death. Of course, it's going to inspire a lot of dark thoughts. Mm -hmm. But, yeah.
0: Well, Um, uh, maybe it's time to hand over uh, from our dark thoughts to your dark thoughts. So if you'd like to share any of them with us, you can email us at podcastoverthinkingit.com. There have been some great emails. We're queuing them up for another listener feedback show uh, and some great voicemails. Also, Uh, you can call or text 203-285-6401 if you want to leave a a voicemail or send us a text message. You can also – and someone did this recently. It was very ingenious. You can record yourself on – on your phone and just email us an audio file, uh, and have that be a, have that be a voicemail. It's, it's nice. It's nice to get more voices on, on the podcast. Um, also join the uh, conversation in the show notes on this episode. So, uh, we will be back next week, uh, like death and taxes. You can uh, count on the overthinking podcast coming at you. (laughs) On, Except for uh, the
1: system can't handle the the the, the, the increased upload of the, the podcast, and then they get spit down, and then they have to send the police to come round us up.
0: Yeah, exactly. actually, yeah, that's. I mean, that's funny because actually we do have like a limited amount of of upload on our our media hosting our CDN uh, account, and so sometimes I do little tricks to uh, to get around it. You know, um, in are the you gu- saying
1: that we're 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 deados? <laughs>
0: yeah i put god yeah i I, uh hide the podcast in places where it shouldn't be and it just spreads uh (laughs) ill will and no i'm teasing it's a good it's a good podcast it's a force for good in the universe so why not tell your friends about it would you uh would you share this episode with a friend or if you have a favorite episode recently um we we've been thinking recently about podcast marketing and i hate to say that that phrase because it sounds so biz dev it sounds so douchey right like uh oh guys we gotta market you know we gotta market our podcast bra um and i i just don't want to do that but we are we have been having some talks internally about sort of uh uh Getting the stuff that we do, which we flatter ourselves to think is pretty good, uh, out to more people. So uh, would you help? Would you join the Overthinking It army and uh, you know help share this show with your smart, funny friends? Um, no losers, please. We, we don't need them in our audience. Uh, yes. So uh, we'll be back next week. Like I said, until then, you can visit us always at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny
1: it, it probably, probably doesn't, deserve. doesn't
0: deserve.
1: It
2: probably doesn't deserve, partner. <laughs> so, wait, Jeff Bridges, did you think RIPD was better or worse than G.I. Joe retaliation? Depends on how you define better or worse. Well, how about in terms of enjoyment and pleasure brought to you as a viewing experience? I thought, I thought RIPD was the real... You could tell, who am
1: I kidding? I was <laughs> hated being in this movie That's an embarrassment. Excuse, excuse me, <laughs> I,
0: heard oh, a ras-
2: <laughs> I heard a raspy voice
1: on the
0: podcast. <laughs> Jeff, is that
1: you? Well, th- that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs>